Howdy there, partners. I'm Bo Ransdell, welcoming you to the Rootinous Tootinous podcast this side of the Mississippi. Along with my fellow cowpoke, Chad Cooper, we have come up with one humdinger of an idea for a podcast where we pick a theme, that's just a thing that ties all this foolishness together, and then we pick six movies that capture that very theme. Pick six movies? Well, that's the show's title. Ain't that as clever as a fox in an outhouse? This here season is season 17, one we're calling Comic Sans Quality. That's a double entendre, on account of it being a font, and also French for ain't got none. In just a second, Chad's gonna give you some movie history, and I'll be back after to say a whole bunch of silly things about this movie, what ain't but 81 minutes long. And that's how you know it's gonna be good. Kick off your boots, settle back, and get ready for one wild bronco of an episode, partners. Now saddle up, Chad, and show these people how come this whole thing is free. It's Jonah Hex on Pick 6 Movies. When you think about movies based on comic books, you most likely think about superhero film adaptations, which is because most comic books that have been turned into movies are about, well, superheroes. But did you know that comic books first debuted as a collection of newspaper comic strips in the 1930s? And it was almost a decade later that superheroes officially showed up in comic books with the debut of Superman in Action Comics number one in 1938. A year later, Batman flew onto the pages of Detective Comics in 1942. Wonder Woman made her debut as a comic book lead and thus was ushered in the golden age of comic books. Like most new mediums of entertainment, early comic books were characterized as being way too violent or containing way too many mature themes that would eventually corrupt the morality of humanity or expose children to subject matter that would corrupt them in irredeemable ways. The early popularity of comic books led to multiple publishers trying to cash in on the emerging demand, which included DC Comics, which was at the time called National Allied, and Marvel, which at the time was called Timely, both of which were small players in a large cast of companies looking to turn a buck or two off the growing popularity of comic books. Dell, Centaur, McKay, Eastern Color, and others all published comic books across a broad spectrum of genres and characters. And much of this demand for comic books was generated by soldiers overseas during World War II. During this time period, multiple comic book characters were created, including the big three I mentioned earlier, along with Plastic Man and Green Lantern and Captain Marvel, who it turns out was actually more popular than Superman at the time. Comic books were cheap, they were portable forms of entertainment that soldiers could trade with each other, and often contained stories of good and evil where the good guys normally won. Heck, the creation of Captain America was directly tied to the United States' involvement in World War II. Superhero comics were very popular, but they weren't the only type of comics available as the form of entertainment continued to reach broader audiences. Horror comics, crime comics, science fiction, teenager-themed comic books, they all emerged, including the adventures of Archie and his pals over at Riverdale, a comic so popular that the publisher actually changed its name to Archie Comics. There were jungle-themed comics, romance-themed comics, and even popular comic books featuring the characters from Disney. But after World War II ended, soldiers returned home, and the world was a different place. And in the 1950s, the interest in superhero-themed comic books went on the decline. However, all of these other genres continued to grow in popularity, including the aforementioned crime and horror and science fiction, as well as Western-themed comic books. 
And around this time, there was a rise in juvenile delinquency that paralleled a rise in crime and horror-themed comic books. That gave Dr. Frederick Wortham the bright idea to blame comic books for teenagers being assholes because video games had yet to be invented. Dr. Wortham was a psychiatrist, and he concluded that kids being jerks was because of comic books. He testified where else in front of Congress, and he wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent. Ew. Which led to the comics industry creating a self-censoring board called the Comics Code Authority. Self-censorship. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Under these new rules, no horror or dark fantasy comics could be published, or they were scrubbed of all the good stuff so nobody wanted to read them anymore. Most small publishers of these types of comics, well, they closed their doors, with one exception being EC Comics, which transformed into a new title, Mad Magazine. You can hear more about that story in the show open for Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood, Season 12, Episode 5 of This, A Very, A Podcast. During this time of declining popularity of superhero comics and overly sanitized storylines and characters in the horror and crime genre, other comic books started to thrive, including Western-themed comic books. These Western-themed comic books were published from the early days of comic book publishing. These included characters such as the Apache Kid and Colt Kid and the Outlaw Kid and the Rawhide Kid, the Ringo Kid, the Two-Gun Kid, the Western Kid, the Arizona Kid, the Texas Kid, the Chinatown Kid, ooh, the Wyoming Kid, the Cheyenne Kid, and the Cisco Kid. Really? Papa was a Rolling Stone. The popularity in Western-themed comic books paralleled the popularity of Westerns on television, which actually led to a 107-issue run of the Lone Ranger comic book. There were other publication spinoffs of TV shows into comics featuring Gunsmoke, Buffalo Bill Jr., and comic book publishers found inspiration in utilizing the known names of historical characters and dime-store novels that had created mythical figures of the expanse westward in the United States, Billy the Kid, Jim Bowie, Wyatt Earp, The Legend of Tombstone, and Texas Rangers, they all made their way to the comic book pages full of Wild West adventures. In addition, this comic book genre saw many Wild West matinee idols and singing cowboys and cowgirls be transformed into comic book versions of their silver screen personas. Gabby Hayes, Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, Dale Evans, heck, even John Wayne got his own comic book. However, in the 1960s, the saturation of Western-themed entertainment on television took its toll on the popularity of Western-themed entertainment more broadly. When people turned their TVs on in the 60s, they didn't see these romanticized portrayals of the American West. Instead, oftentimes what they saw were news reports of civil unrest and America's involvement in the Vietnam War. About this time, the pendulum of comic book consumer preferences swung back over in the favor of superhero-themed comics, ushering in the Silver Age of comic books. The comic book superheroes in the Silver Age were different than the Golden Age of superhero comics. These heroes were flawed, and audiences could more relate to them because these characters had human frailties and were filled with difficult pasts that created deeply rich, oftentimes troubled protagonists. Another hallmark of the Silver Age of comic book superheroes was their connection to outer space and other science-related subjects. By the 1970s, 
comics evolved again into the Bronze Age of comic books, which lasted through the mid-1980s. The Bronze Age of comics continued to feature superheroes as the primary protagonist on the printed page. However, what was different about the Bronze Age compared to the Silver Age was that the storylines of this era were much darker, and they focused on emerging social issues like drug use and alcoholism and racism and ecological issues. An issue of the Green Lantern dealt with poverty, and the main character had to wrestle with some heavy emotional issues. The Green Goblin killing Gwen Stacy in The Amazing Spider-Man in the summer of 1973 showed that comic book characters can and will be killed off. In 1971, the Comics Code was revised so that comic books could now include vampires, monsters, and werewolves. The code allowed for Draculas and Frankensteins because they were based on classic works of literature, so they were kind of high class. But zombies were still a no-go, so comic book writers couldn't have people coming back from the dead as a zombie. They came back from the dead as a zuvimbi, a term made up by the creative types to get around the banning of the word zombie. Let's give, give a listen. Zombie, Zuvimbi. Zombie, Zuvimbi. Not even close. Did they ever make a Jesus comic book? That seems like, all right, all right, I won't ask. Eventually, reduced restrictions on the comics code led to the creation of Swamp Thing, Ghost Rider, and the Tomb of Dracula. Hey, we did episodes about movies featuring all those characters. All this new opportunity to introduce characters that were otherwise too questionable for the comic book pages in the past led not only to Zuvimbis being resurrected from the dead, so too was the Western comic book genre revived with the introduction of a new anti-hero, Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex first appeared in DC Comics and was created by writer John Albano and artist Tony DiZunia. Jonah Hex was a bounty hunter who had a terrible scar on his face, and he fights bad guys and defends those who needed defending in the Old West. Jonah Hex made his first appearance in a comic book in Volume 2 of All-Star Western in 1972, which got rebranded as Weird Western Tales by its 12th issue. Jonah Hex was a central character in the publication until he moved into his own self-titled comic book in 1977, and his lead role in Weird Western Tales was taken over by a character called Scalp Hunter. Oh my God. The Jonah Hex series lasted for 92 issues, but now with Michael Fleischner as the main writer and Tony Dzungia as the lead artist. Dzungia's artwork was inspired by a chart of the human anatomy that he saw at a doctor's office during a visit where he conceived creating Jonah Hex with parts of his skeleton and muscles exposed. Michael Fleischner taking over the writing duties on Jonah Hex almost felt preordained. He was raised in New York and spent most Saturdays in the movie theater watching, what else, double features of Western movies. Fleischner started writing for DC Comics in 1972, which included issues of Secrets of Sinister House and House of Mystery and House of Secrets and Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion. A lot of spooky secrets in these houses. Fleischner went on to work with Joe Orlando, who had years of comic book publishing experience. Orlando, after getting mugged, decided that they needed a vengeful superhero, and thus was born the Spectre. Shortly thereafter, Fleischner took over writing duties for Jonah Hex, where he remained for 12 years. 
The comic book Jonah Hex was ultimately canceled during Crisis on Infinite Earths, where Jonah Hex teams up with his racially insensitive named anti-superhero buddy, Scalp Hunter. Oh, God. Jonah Hex got an 18-issue run called Hex that Michael Fleischner wrote years later, but in this series, Jonah Hex is transported to the 21st century to a post-apocalyptic world. But you know what? We're just going to stick with classic Jonah Hex for the sake of this conversation, and more importantly, how that Jonah Hex got turned into a movie. Do me a favor, change the music bed. We got to talk about the movie adaptation of Jonah Hex starring the smoldering mound of manliness. That is Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin is the son of James Brolin, who at the time of this recording is still married to Barbara Streisand. And he was the actor who went to Westworld with accidental movie star Richard Benjamin. And he played the dad in the original adaptation of the Amityville Horror. But you know what? Enough about James Brolin. We're here to talk about Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin grew up in Santa Monica, California with his famous father and his mother, Jane Cameron, who was a wildlife activist. He served, he was in the punk rock. Brolin followed in his father's footsteps and he tried his hand at acting and eventually was cast in the Richard Donner film, The Goonies, playing the older brother who decides to go take a piss in the same corner of a cave where two girls decided to go pee. Remember when he called it the men's room? And then uh, Mouth and Data followed him into that part of the cave where those two other girls were peeing. That was kind of gross. Despite all the unsavory watching of girls pee, The Goonies was a huge hit, and Brolin thought it would launch his career to the next level. He was handsome and charming. He pulled off wearing a red headband in a family-friendly action-adventure movie with kids watching other kids pee. But in an interview with Esquire magazine, Brolin said that after this film came out, it just all went downhill from there. Any nightmare that actors have about the worst thing that could happen absolutely happened to me. During his teenage years, his parents' marriage fell apart and Josh Brolin had a front row seat to all the turmoil. Brolin's parents eventually divorced when he was around 16 and Josh, for the most part, was left to his own devices. He moved in with his father, but his father wasn't around much. He found a group of kids that were kind of like him. They had parents, but their parents weren't very good at parenting. This group of kids surfed, they rode skateboards, they committed crimes, they got into drugs, and they took care of each other because their parents didn't really seem to care at all. After the success of The Goonies, Brolin was cast in the competitive skateboarding film Thrashin', which then led to a single role on Highway to Heaven and then not much else. He auditioned for the Fox TV drama 21 Drump Street, but he lost that role to Johnny Depp. He landed a spot on a TV Western called The Young Riders as Wild Bill Hickok, and the show looked like it might be around for a while. About this time, Brolin married his first wife, actress Alice Adair. They had a son. This led Josh Brolin to clean up his life, and he started attending AA meetings in Tucson, Arizona, where The Young Riders was filmed. Attending these meetings was a turning point for Brolin. Much of his life up to this point was a mix of emotional neglect and substance abuse. Brolin had been arrested multiple times for various reasons, and his career never seemed to really get into gear. But here, things looked to be turning around, and they did. At the AA meetings, Brolin befriended Danny Martin, a firefighter from Tucson, who spoke at one of the meetings. Martin, upon initially meeting Josh Brolin, had no idea who he was or that he was an actor. 
and he took a personal interest in this troubled young man and he helped Brolin along a long road to recovery. Martin was there when Brolin slipped in his recovery and he helped him through the difficult challenges that were yet to come. On Josh Brolin's 27th birthday, his mother drove her car into a tree and she died the following day. The Young Riders television series was canceled. Brolin and his wife had a second child, but they were well on their way to divorce. Brolin started drinking again and his friend Martin got word. He staged an intervention because as Martin put it, Brolin was on his way to being a story about a dead guy. Josh Brolin went into rehab, he got sober, and work started to trickle in. Brolin took offers that were given to him because, as he put it, he was the last resort guy. Brolin did land the title role on a TV series, Mr. Sterling, a drama about an idyllic senator that was created by Lawrence O'Donnell, yeah, the guy who has a show after Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. O'Donnell had worked on The West Wing, and this new show starring James Brolin had a similar tone to it, but the show did not get picked up for a second season. In 2004, Brolin married for a second time to Diane Lane, a marriage that had its ups and downs, some public, some not, and ultimately this led to a divorce just before the two celebrated their 10-year anniversary. Through all of these challenges, Josh Brolin continued to receive support and encouragement from his friend Danny Martin. Then in 2006, Josh Brolin was cast in the Coen Brothers film, No Country for Old Men, reportedly without ever meeting the Coen Brothers. Well, how did that happen? I'm so glad you asked. Josh Brolin was in Austin filming Planet Terror, which was Robert Rodriguez's half of the movie Grindhouse. Quentin Tarantino would, of course, direct the second half of that movie called Death Proof. One morning, Brolin was eating breakfast with actor Sam Shepard. Shepard mentioned to Brolin that the Coen brothers were going to adapt a novel called No Country for Old Men. Brolin picked up a copy of the book. He gives it a read, tells his agent he's interested in the character of Anton Shigurth. Josh Brolin's agent says, yeah, there's no way I can get you an audition for that. So Brolin says, fuck it, I'm gonna do my own audition tape. Robert Rodriguez loans Josh Brolin a camera that they were using for Grindhouse. And guess who shows up on the set to see how filming of Grindhouse is going? Quentin Tarantino, who talks with Brolin and agrees to direct Josh Brolin in an audition tape for the Coen Brothers film, No Country for Old Men. This audition tape led to a reading for Llewellyn Moss, which led to him being cast in No Country for Old Men, which went on to win one, two, three, four Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Josh Brolin's performance in No Country for Old Men led to roles in Ridley Scott's American Gangster. Oliver Stone cast Brolin in his movie W about George W. Bush. Brolin received an Oscar nomination for his portrayal of Dan White, the man who assassinated Harvey Milk, in the biographical film Milk, which was directed by Gus Van Sant in 2008. Oliver Stone came a-knocking again to tap Brolin to appear in his sequel to Wall Street. Brolin remarried for a third time. His personal and professional life were on track and his career was being met with one successful performance after another. And then came Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex, the movie, landed in theaters on June 18th, 2010, and it came in seventh at the box office. At number six was Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Number five, Shrek Forever After. At number four, Get Him to the Greek. Number three, the big screen adaptation of the small screen sensation, The A-Team. At number two, the remake of The Karate Kid. 
and the number one movie at the box office. Debuting the same week Jonah Hex hit the big screen, Disney's Pixar's Toy Story 3, starring Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, and featuring the hit song Sad Toys Holding Hands Burning in an Incinerator by Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, that's right. The feature film adaptation of Jonah Hex came in seventh at the box office on its opening weekend. The movie reportedly cost about 50 million bucks to make. That didn't include marketing costs, which reportedly bumped up the cost of this film to around $80 million. It pulled in 11 million bucks worldwide, with 10 and a half million of that haul coming from domestic audiences here in the good old US of A. So what went wrong with this movie? Well, let's break it down, shall we? During the 90s and the first decade of the new millennium, Comic book movie adaptations, and more specifically superhero movies, were almost guaranteed box office success. The release of the X-Men movies, well, you know, the first two, and then uh, those Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, eh, well, the first two, and the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, eh, well, the first two, well, they all proved that superhero movies were box office no-brainers. Even other comic book adaptations like From Hell and the Blade movies, again, the first two, were all well-received by critics and audiences. Sin City 300 and Marvel's first salvo into the comic cinematic universe, also known as Iron Man, all helped to elevate the high standards and high box office returns of movies based on comic books. Sure, there were some misses like Catwoman and The Spirit and Son of Mask, but the creatively bankrupt geniuses in Hollywood were looking to turn any comic book that might be a good movie into a cinematic spectacular. Enter Jonah Hex. Mark Neveldine and Brian Taylor banged out the script for the Warner Brothers slash legendary films co-production and they were originally set to direct the movie. How do you know those names? Well, they made a movie called Crank and another little gem known as Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Yeah, that's where the tale of this movie starts and it goes downhill from there. Josh Brolin was cast to play the titular Jonah Hex and that created some friction between the aforementioned writer-director duo, so they got the boot. And you'll never guess who they got to replace those two. That's right, Jimmy Hayward, the co-director of the animated movie Horton Hears a Who. That makes complete sense. Full disclosure, I believe that the film adaptation of Horton Hears a Who is a movie that is better than its source material written by Dr. Seuss. Jim Carrey's voice acting along with Steve Carell and Carol Burnett in that film are all pitch perfect. And if you have not seen it, please adieu. Hayward delivered his cut of Jonah Hex to Warner Brothers executives who saw the film and said, What the fuck is this? You're fired. Get me the guy who made I Am Legend starring Will Smith to fix this movie. Enter Francis Lawrence, director of I Am Legend, starring Will Smith, to fix the movie. Extensive reshoots took place, prompting the movie star Josh Brolin to publicly state how much he hated making this movie because they reportedly had to reshoot 66 pages of the movie in 12 days. Despite casting John Malkovich as the movie's bad guy and Michael Fassbender as his number two and Megan Fox as the film's female lead, the movie was a real disappointment to just about everyone when it opened on screens in the United States. The movie wasn't true to the gritty, dark nature of the source material, which one could see even before the movie opened because it had a PG-13 rating. 
Peter Travers over with Rolling Stone said of the film, quote, it must have been hard labor for Josh Brolin to get in the makeup chair for hours to capture the disfigured look of DC Comics anti-hero Jonah Hex. Due respect to the talented Brolin, it's much harder to sit in a theater and watch this crap fest. The disastrous reception of Jonah Hex across the board didn't end Josh Brolin's career in movies, especially in movies based on comic books, as he went on to appear in the time-traveling-infused Men in Black 3 as the younger version of Tommy Lee Jones' character in that franchise. Brolin appeared in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Thanos in the original Guardians of the Galaxy, and he would reprise that role in Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, and Brolin even went on to nab another MCU role as Cable in Deadpool 2. Brolin also appeared in a 2017 biographical film titled Only the Brave about a team of firefighters in Arizona who lost 19 of 20 members fighting the Yarnell Fire in the summer of 2013. Brolin starred in the film alongside Miles Teller, Jeff Bridges, and Jennifer Connelly, and the movie was well-received by critics and audiences. Brolin played Eric Marsh, the lead firefighter, who died in the blaze, giving his life to save the lives of others. Danny Martin, Josh Brolin's longtime friend and a veteran firefighter, pointed out to Josh Brolin that the man that he was portraying in the film, Eric Marsh, gave a younger man, a recovering addict, a chance to turn his life around and become a firefighter, and that Marsh did everything he could to help another person struggling with his life's challenges to turn things around and find a way out and find a way forward. Danny Martin said that Josh Brolin playing Eric Marsh was God at work, and it was faith that Josh Brolin would portray the fallen firefighter, leveraging his own personal challenges, struggles with addiction and recovery, and his years-long friendship with Martin. Josh Brolin's career over the last decade is better than it's ever been. He worked with Paul Thomas Anderson in Inherent Vice. The Coen brothers tapped him a few more times for roles in True Grit and Hail Caesar. Spike Lee cast him in Old Boy. Sean Penn directed him in Flag Day. And he's got a part in the Dune remake. Brolin is a versatile actor whose good looks and stoic charm has produced a long list of unforgettable cinematic performances. And then there's Jonah Hex, the movie we unfortunately have to discuss for this episode of Pick 6 Movies. Well, the good news is the movie is only 81 minutes long, which means our suffering will be short-lived. So without any more delay, let's get Mr. Bo Ransdell in here as we saddle up and head off into the 2010 crap fest that is Jonah Hex. <laughs> oh, boy. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, and I am joined, as always, by my cursed, but never worst, best friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm looking forward to a rootin' tootin' good time, Chad. Bo, I gotta start off with an immediate correction, okay? Yeah. The runtime of this movie, I said earlier, it is officially 81 minutes. But if you trim off the opening credits, and you snip off the end credits, Bo, it is... It is a 
an easy 71 minutes. Yeah, it's it's crazy that this is an actual move. This feels like one of those Pixar releases where they have to tack a short on the front of it where like a Jonah Hex Looney Tunes or something. I considered a lot of movies for this particular slot, but none of them were anywhere close to the quality standards that are this movie and that are shorter than 71 minutes long. After that Justice League marathon, I could not bring myself to take on a Ninja Turtles or a Time Cop or a Barbed Wire. I was like, I got Jonah Hex over here flaunting a 71 minute runtime. It really is enticing. And then you watch the movie, you're like, oh, I see why this is so short. (laughs) There is absolutely nothing in this movie. (laughs) One other thing that I couldn't find a way to shoehorn into the introduction was my favorite Josh Brolin story. So I thought I'd just go ahead and bring it up here. Oh, please. You know how people do stupid stuff and then they go on the internet and they tell other people about the stupid stuff they did and then those other people do that same stupid stuff? I'm aware. Yes, I'm aware of this. A few years ago, people started sunning their assholes and Josh Brolin posted on Instagram that he gave this a try to disastrous results and Brolin posted a picture on his adventure of tanning his taint and the post read tried this perineum sunning that i've been hearing about my suggestion is do not do it as long as i did my pucker hole is crazy burned and i was gonna spend the day shopping with my family and instead i'm icing and using aloe and burn creams because of the severity of the pain and then he continued i don't know who the fuck thought of this stupid shit but fuck you nonetheless seriously hashtag black hole friday hashtag black hole sun hashtag severe perineum berms hashtag santa monica fire department and hashtag asshole care asshole care by the way (laughs) is uh my biography yeah that's one of those things that comes down the pipe every now and again where you're like i didn't need to be told that there was never an instance (laughs) even if you who have known my entire life Uh for all practical purposes as long as I remember people, I have known you. If you came to me and you said, no, really, you you really need to tan your, your asshole and thing, <laughs> I would tell you I might try it, but I never would, Chad. <laughs> it's like when, when somebody comes to you and is like, you know what's great? Opium. Have you ever tried opium? I'm like, no, of course not. Not outside of, you know, surgical procedures and whatnot. And even then it was accidental. I'll put that in the category where I put Game of Thrones. You should really try it, Chad. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. I'm never going to do that. Yeah, I think I've told you to try. Well, it's one of those like, well, the last season's kind of shit. But, you know, the first three or four are real good. <laughs> Let's talk about Jonah Hexmo. Our movie starts off and we are in the swamps of Louisiana. Blink, 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 blink. Why are there so many <laughs> movies based on comics filled with so much CGI? I think it's because people don't read books anymore. We're dumber than we used to be. Looks like we found it. Education, rejection, anti-vaxxers, conspiracy theorists, and me. All of us under Q-spell. It's sad and it's totally tragic. 
Well done. <laughs> Most of the songs I sing on this podcast are influenced by Paul Williams or Randy Newman. <laughs> Honestly, what name two better songwriters? <laughs> I can't. Like you throw in a little Elvis Costello and Tom Waits and you've got the holy quadrumperate? Sure. If you're interested, grab the two giants from They Might Be Giants and we're we're done for the day. Eh, at least one. I'm less of a Flansburg guy. And speaking of, of the old-timey music, Chad, right off the bat, like when you see that Warner Brothers logo to let you know you're really in trouble watching this movie, they do a little bit of a plinkety piano sound with the Warner Brothers music. Ding, 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 as you said there's like four minutes opening logos as well with all the legendary and stuff and i'm like this is fine by me this is all this all this means is i don't need to be taking notes right now i was happy we hear jonah hex in voiceover say more and me took to each other real well mm-hmm. you felt like it had meaning do what you thought was right even when it wasn't i'm like wait our lead character likes war because it enables him to justify his terrible actions actions that are immoral or illegal that doesn't sound like an anti-hero boat that just sounds like a common criminal i got a bloodlust mm-hmm. <laughs> only way i can slake it is by killing other men during this confusing voiceover we see some soldiers riding on horseback shooting guns at other soldiers but the way that it's lit i couldn't really tell who was in blue and who was in gray uniforms i don't know if jonah x is on the side of the union or the confederacy maybe that was by design didn't want to half of the movie going audience at the get-go this movie hides the fact that he was a confederate soldier as much as they possibly can in fact i don't know that they ever actually say confederacy oh he's wearing a belt buckle that is the size of my foot that has cs on it that's for the confederate states right but they go out of their way to tell you like he wasn't really into what the confederacy stood for look man all right and like, well, then, <laughs> then why was he taking up arms against the union pick a side all right yeah th- this is a story about a guy who becomes disillusioned with murdering people against slavery what yeah the people who want to end slavery he's shooting them that's how the movie starts he's like i started to wonder if i was doing the right thing shooting all these people what was trying to keep the slaves in order is that the right thing Mm, i don't know Mm, hypocrites on both sides everybody's the same in war war never changes Mm -hmm. no no they're not one side was completely (laughs) wanting to maintain the status quo of slavery the other side did not that's the problem with this movie chad there's fine people on both sides Mm, i'm gonna shoot them all Mm -hmm. i learned about the confederacy on youtube Mm, they made some good points turns out the war was all about economics Mm -hmm. it's like no of course it's not it's states rights Mm, it's all right it was about the states rights to have slaves yeah that's what you say i'm gonna have to disagree with that mm-hmm. i heard some interesting points from marjorie taylor green mm-hmm. that ron DeSantis makes a lot of good statements jonah hex goes on to say there's what's right and there's what's right but a man's got to decide if what he thinks is right is right right choice costs me more than i bargained for mm-hmm. and we see a crow sitting on a wooden coffin out in this dirt clay clearing field surrounded by the woods we're gonna come back yeah. here a lot yeah it's this red dust or something that's all over the place it's it's the only time in the movie that it gets kind of surreal this implies that our narrator jonah hex the main character was killed 
because of this coffin out in the clay dirt, right? Turns out all that red clay was anthrax. <laughs> mm-hmm. I died coughing up my own blood. In re-watching this movie and taking notes on it, I got really confused, which happens to me a lot. So I went to Where Else Wikipedia to see what the summary of this movie said there. And the opening paragraph says, During the American Civil War, Jonah Hex serves as a Confederate cavalryman until his commanding officer, John Malkovich, orders him to burn down a hospital. Hex refuses and is forced to kill his best friend, John Malkovich's son, Jeb. And I was thinking, did I watch the wrong movie? Because none of this happened at the beginning of this film. Yeah, you don't find out about Jeb till later. Like, there's a real random thing that Malkovich says where he says, Do you want to know what it's like to lose everything you love like I did? And you're like, what? Uh, I guess he burned his, Malkovich's family? But there's a bunch of stuff that happens at the beginning, Bo. And what I just read to you from the fine folks at Wikipedia, that supposedly all happened in what we just described with the shooting and the he yeah. And they talk about it later, but they didn't show any of that in the movie. There are so many points where, like, I don't want this to be a longer movie, Chad. But there are so <laughs> many points where somebody says something and you're like, you know what would have been great to see that in a movie it feels like the screenplay is constantly catching up to the action that never happened this goes back we we say this a bunch on this show but this is the equivalent of like that 10 year old telling you the story <laughs> where they're like oh wait 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 there was this other thing that happened or like it's somebody telling you a joke badly where they tell you the punchline and then they tell you the premise i was thinking it's like somebody lying to a cop to try to get out of trouble like oh did i did i say that i was with him i was with him before i was with him and that's why he had the gun first i didn't mention that okay he had the gun and then i got it but he had it first and that's why he has it you're under arrest he swallowed a bullet and that's why it's inside him (laughs) so we fade out we fade in jonah hex wakes up and like hey i guess our main character is not dead as the coffin implied that he was instead he is strapped to a giant wooden x and it is an expo it's not a cross it's tilted on the side making it vertical would be maybe a little too on the nose hex comes to and he's tied up outside this log cabin and inside the cabin are some people and we hear some screaming jonah hex is then greeted by our movie's bad guy john malkovich who plays who cares what his name is it's john malkovich something turnbull blah 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 it's john malkovich yeah and he says like i said he's like so jonah hex you've taken away everything that i've ever had do you know what that feels like well watch and then Michael Fassbender, who is in this as this Irish drunken flunky. He's Malkovich's number two. It's his heavy. Right. And he's just like, hi, hi, hi. I'll throw me lantern into the house. <laughs> and so that's what happens. And meanwhile, Jonah Hex is like, come on now. Please don't burn my family in front of me. That's a real bad way to go. And then John Malkovich does drop the line here where he says remember when you killed my son jeb you're gonna need to be a little more specific about that Mm, i killed lots of folks Mm. it was the one that i used to call son a lot can't say i reckon i remember him too well (laughs) then that is why your family has to die what's that smell Mm -hmm. smells like somebody put bacon around a skunk that my boy 
And after setting fire to the family and making Jonah Hex watch them burn alive, Malkovich gets this brand out of a fire Uh and says, every time you look at your face, this mark will remind you of the man (laughs) who took everything away. That gonna be me? Right, you. Yes, it's you. (laughs) This is so frustrating. (laughs) Not sure I follow what you're saying here, stranger. Do I know you? I would kill you. You the one who tied me up to this big X? You see my wife and my boy around here? What's that smell? Smells like somebody set a a possum on fire. Mm. They're the ones burning in the fire. Mm. Oh, hey, mm, that cabin behind you over there is on fire. Somebody ought to put that out. Mm -hmm. Burke, we need to leave. I'm going to (laughs) shoot him, and I want him to walk the earth. If you want me to walk around, you're going to need to untie me from this big X. Mm-hmm. So they take off, and then a cartoon starts, Chad, and I got excited. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I love cartoons. I felt like we were watching Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance again. Yeah, and we get a little more narration where he's just like, well, I was almost dead, but then these Crow Indians found me, and they seemed to save my life, but I was close to death, so now I can talk to dead people or something. <laughs> They do not explain it very well at all. And he only talks to two dead people in the movie? Yeah, that's right. And (laughs) no, no, no. Well, there are three. There are three. There, yeah, we'll get to it. But there are a total of three. Does not matter at all. Three. Uh, Like, you could remove this wholesale. And in fact, it wasn't part of the comics or anything. This was all just made up for the movie. Really? Oh, yeah. That seems like that was a miss on my part in the introduction. I need to go talk to our researchers. (laughs) Yeah, our interns have really fucked this up. But in the comics, he's just a cowboy guy. You know who wrote this one? It was Danny, who was hammered at the Justice League 100th whatever celebration. He said he wrote it two days later. And then he got COVID and was quarantined. And I was like you idiot i love danny but his work is for shit that makes one of us i was like danny have you been vaccinated he was like hell no uh, they're no, i don't even eat salads no more that's an evergreen joke that, that's a joke that'll never go out of style chad the old COVID salad joke can i let you know a secret da- danny told me he said his asshole yeah that's that's the part he got hung up on and forgot to tell you that hey by the way all the spooky ghost shit in jonah hex is a a crazy make-em-up he he said please don't tell bo i did this i was like oh i'm not gonna tell him i was totally gonna tell you (laughs) oh i know i didn't look here's a note to all future interns Anytime one of us tells you anything, quite frankly, it's a total lie. It's just whatever is convenient to say in the moment. That's all it is. <laughs> all right, where, but, where are we in this terrible yeah. movie? Oh, yeah, our, our cartoon. In the, in the process of the cartoon, here's one of the first things that, like, oh, this ought to have been in the movie. <laughs> where he says, and then John Malkovich up and died. Mm-hmm. And so then... I just ended up killing a bunch of people who had bounties on their heads to slick my vengeance. And, well, that's it. This here's my story. That's a direct line. This here's my story. It's like, oh, all right, I guess. Thanks, Jonah Hex, for nothing. We get the title credits, Jonah Hex. And I was like, wait a minute, that wooden casket we saw at the beginning. So was that John Malkovich's dead son? I don't think we ever find out who's actually in that box, which led me to believe it might be Gwyneth Paltrow's head and one of those candles that smells like her vagina to keep the rotten stink down from her head. John Malkovich has the upper hand. (laughs) 
Everyone stay back. What's in the box? It's your wife's head and a candle that smells like her vagina. How do you think Gwyneth Paltrow knew what her vagina smells like? Was it such an odor that it was unmistakable? Like you just walked in the room and were like, oh my God, I can smell your vagina. She's got fingers, Chad. You think it was just a swab and maybe a little first party, third party confirmation? Yeah, I think it was just a drag across the upper lip. <laughs> I check my dipstick. Uh, it's a little tenacious, D. <laughs> We cut to Jonah Hex. He's riding his horse and he's dragging these three dead bodies behind him. He's going to this micro-sized mill town that has maybe three buildings in it. I like how the editing doesn't let you see any of the blood and rot on the corpses that he's dragging along. This movie really pulls its punches beginning to end when it comes to the gore and the deaths. Mm -hmm. And Jonah Hex, he takes these three bodies to the leading law officials in this town. And here we see Jonah Hex's face post-melting from the branding on the right side of his cheek and he's got this open hole that you can see into his mouth and there's this scarred webbing of flesh and you can kind of see his teeth i don't know why but when i saw this i really wanted to see jonah hex eat coleslaw just to see how much would fall out of those cheek holes soup is not my favorite food (laughs) i and I gotta say, the makeup for Jonah Hex is one of two things I like in this movie. What's the other one? The end when it stopped happening? <laughs> no, because it just wasn't going on long enough for me to really hate it. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll get to it, but it involves the dog. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think the makeup is pretty good, and it kind of looks like the comic Jonah Hex. They do a pretty good job of that. He rolls into town with these three bodies coming behind him, and there's like a fat mayor and a sheriff waiting for him on the steps. Jonah Hex, I see you done brought the Clayton boys, but they was to be four Clayton boys to collect the reward, and you've got but three here. We can't possibly pay you for just three Clayton boys, Jonah Hex. That fourth one was too fat from my horse here's a bag and then he just throws this bag with a head clearly in it onto the porch where they're all standing uh-huh. and one of the dudes opens it up and gives it a you know <laughs> speaking of Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> it does a whole like Woo-hee, this head sure is stinky I think this is why they call it head cheese but Jonah Hex I mean to say that these boys uh they was no real threat to us simple folk, and you done us a favor. But that $100 bounty, uh, that was a timed offer. You had to send in the rebate form and include a copy of your receipt and the death certificate and triplicate and notary authorization, all legal like. Plus, Jonah Hex, if and we kill you, we can get twice that amount of money for your dead body, Jonah Hex. They're crawdadding Jonah Hex here, and there's a dude up in a bell tower who takes a shot at Jonah Hex. And Jonah Hex sees the guy take the shot and just moves out of the way. And I was like, ah, I don't know that that's how that works. Uh, I think bullets are slightly faster than a, you know, psych uh, kind of move. <laughs> Jonah Hex looks over at the sheriff and the mayor and he's like, mm, look like and you got five coffins. Reckon you're going to need eight. Mm. And then a gunfight ensues and Jonah Hex, he pops out these two retractable Gatling guns that are mounted to either side of his horse and just starts spraying bullets all over the place. And the music in this movie was done by the Atlanta-based heavy metal group Mastodon. And it's all of these heavy electric guitar riffs to make it sound all metal and badass. It's like when Anthrax did the score 
metaphor for John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Not that anything could have saved Ghosts of Mars, (laughs) let's be honest about that. But the Anthrax score did not help. No. The gunfight ends and Jonah Hex has left everybody dead for the most part. He walks over to the sheriff and he takes enough money to cover the bounty due to him, but he doesn't take all the money in the sheriff's pocket, which shows that he has some sort of personal code of ethics or he doesn't understand how money works or how to count it. I do everything for $100 because that's what I can count to. Jonah Hex then removes the sheriff's badge from the dead sheriff because he won't be needing that anymore, Bo. And Jonah Hex rides over and gives the sheriff's badge to the town simpleton who looks like Chumley from Pawn Stars <laughs> dressed up as Pigpen from the Peanuts comic strip. Chad, if I may, another <laughs> moment of Pig Six Note Theater. The line I have is... And then he gives the sheriff's badge to the local simpleton. The fact that we both landed on the word simpleton (laughs) tells you that this is a good movie. Because they communicated, Chad, (laughs) that idea successfully. That this guy was a simpleton. And also, you and I went to the same educational uh, facilities as children where that was the only word we learned. You and I recalled that frequently. (laughs) Referred to as the local simpletons ourselves. (laughs) Oh, and then one guy, uh, I, I think it's the mayor, starts to sit up, and he's like, I don't think so. I killed you for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then just <laughs> shoots him again. And then, Chad, for no good reason, the villain of our movie, a.k.a. Jonah Hex, shoots a lamp and rides out of town, at which point the whole town, Simpleton included, yeah. explodes in flame. Why would he do that? It's a total dick move. And also, why not steal? Steal all the money from the sheriff if your plan is to just blow up the whole town. That's financially irresponsible, Bo. It's very confusing as a viewer as to how I am supposed to feel about this guy who just murdered guys who were trying to double cross him. That's totally fine. I get it. It's a Western. This kind of thing happens all the time in Westerns. But there's a barber there who's not a bad guy. There's a simpleton. There's probably a prostitute. There's got to be some sort of clergy. There was a church, I think. Something with a bell. From the moment that he starts cranking this Gatlin gun, you see like the telegraph operator diving for cover. Yeah. Because, as you said, he is just indiscriminately spraying bullets. And as we turn out both here and later in the film, open flame. Yes. Cut to Chad. A bounty poster, a rightfully drawn up bounty poster for Joda Hex, mm-hmm. who is a criminal roaming the plains. And it kind of flips and flops around on the front of this train. The train is filled with Union officers as well as some civilians in a passenger car. And also, Chad a bunch of big ass cannons are you sure they're union soldiers because their jackets are navy blue but their pants were gray which again i'm easily confused right i think that's the the union soldiers like post-civil war maybe or maybe they just screwed it up who knows like i don't count on this movie for historical accuracy i would say that your average civil war reenactment is about 50 times more accurate for period costume than is this 50 million dollar movie just think about Civil War reenactors. Go on. Is that the previous century's version of Stop the Steal? You fucking lost. No, didn't it? Didn't lose. Mulligan, do over. Do over. <laughs> well, but I don't think they're changing the outcome of the battle. Yes, we right? fucking Is- are. <laughs> you think I'm going to go <laughs> let them fucking Yankees win again? Fuck that. All right, here we go. And begin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kapow! The South <laughs> has risen again! I'm gonna fucking kill Abe Lincoln myself! The guys on the Confederate side are using live ammo. <laughs> I suppose, I don't know, it's it's tough to tell, because on the one hand, I'm like, uh, you know, it's sort of like LARPing, only with guns <laughs> instead of foam swords to it, to some degree. Unless you're LARPing, and you're like, the Guild of Trippendor is going to do battle with the Kingdom of Hasserfoff that believes in slavery, then okay, you can <laughs> we can draw a comparison. Listen, Jeff, I, I don't mean to step out of character here, but you're really going hard on the slavery. We're just here to have a good time. Like Ben's got his robe and his little pouch of spells and they- My Kingdom believes in two things slavery and women being subjugated to the needs of a man. Now get out here with your plastic swords and beat each other about. Ugh. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. It's it's his land. It's his land. What do we, or what are we gonna do? Go get kicked out of the park again? If we want to do this, we got to do the slavery and the women thing. I look. I got to get out of the house. I can't not do this. <laughs> Civil War reenactors. People were pulling that shit. And when I was in college, I remember seeing people dressed up like, "Where are you? What are you doing?" Like, we're well, gonna go and reenact the Civil War. That was decided. Well, we just won't see it happen all over again. Like, I wasn't there at the time. I got a feeling your side lost. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. There are two sides to every story. I'll tell you what, I got a whole YouTube playlist I'm going to send you. Here's the thing. You lost the Civil War, and this was decided. Well, that's that's I, your version of the truth. I've got a different version of the truth. I, I disagree with the premise of your argument, but I will fight to the death your right to have it as long as you don't ever force me to change mine. Hypothetical for you. Let's imagine, for example, that I was voting for a president and he lost and I didn't like the outcome. I just don't believe it. And then we just say we're going to do it over. Look, the premise of what we're doing here is as if Time Cop had gone back <laughs> and given the Confederacy machine guns and hand grenades. And now if you're going to dispute the scientific accuracy of Time Cop, now that's a whole different kettle of fish. Brother, I don't think we can talk anymore. There's two things that I hold to be true. Time Cop and the King James. We're just going to step away from that right now. Tom Cop was in Leviticus. Now, if I got to point out which chapter and verse, then clearly you have not read your Bible because it is obvious that Tom Coppin was happening all the time. So we're on this train. Oh, you're right. And they're transporting a bunch of cannons and other equipment. And then there's a passenger car that's full of a bunch of civilians who look to be like rich assholes based on their top hats and their fancy clothes and their mustaches. And this rich kid runs over to the window and... Remember when people wore that on planes, Chad? You didn't see people in flip-flops <laughs> and shorts. They had their top hats and monocles. And... Yeah, and, and now they're being duct taped to chairs because they're refusing to put on a mask oh uh, we've we've come a long way <laughs> just in the last 20 years we went from passengers attacking terrorists to prevent them from killing people down on the ground to duct taping loudmouth shitheads to their chair because they refused to wear a mask during a pandemic yeah, i mean if you're saying this culture has gotten dumber chad you're not getting an argument out of me blink 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 <laughs> but all right so also the, the on this passenger train there's this little kid who's got a little a little horsey that he's playing with on the window and then on the other side of the window we see some guys on horses there uh -huh. and he's like mother what are those gentlemen doing the ones wearing the hoods like in friday the 13th part two 
<laughs> Are they all Jason's mother? The mom sees this and she kind of loses her shit. She's just- she knows what's up from jump. Yeah. So while that's going down, Michael Fassbender is on the tracks ahead of this train, screwing together like an Acme brand plunger for some bombs on the track. Yeah. And is whistling just hi to toy. I'm really gonna blow up this train here. Then a couple of the soldiers on the train also lift up their their hats and drop some Friday the 13th mask. You say Friday the 13th mask, Bo. I say Ku Klux Klansman hoods. It's not pointy and it's not white. It's not pointy because that wasn't the style yet. It's not white because they didn't have detergent to clean things yet. All right. They are putting (laughs) on Klansman's hoods in this movie. And these two guys, the soldiers that stand up, they then open up their jackets and they're strapped with dynamite from their shoulders to their waist. The other soldiers look at this and I'm like, do they even know what dynamite is? Are they aware that this is a threat? And if so, how are these two guys going to detonate this dynamite? Are they going to light a fuse or grab some spectacles in the sun to make it blow up? Well, if this... This movie teaches us nothing else, Chad. It's that shooting dynamite will set it off. And I think that is the premise here. Yeah, I learned that from Yosemite Sam years ago. You know, Jonah Hex is set pre-Yosemite Sam time. You imagine watching this with those two Mythbusters? I reject your Jonah Hex and substitute it with my own. It could happen if the bullets were made out of titanium and they were covered with sawdust and sand. We've got the ghost (laughs) of Grant here to help us out. I like it when two of the bandits run up to the front of the train and one of the bandits says, I'll go take out the conductor. And then when he gets up to the front, the conductor's like, fuck this noise. Ah, and he just jumps off the train. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so then they cut the engine and the cannons loose from the rest of the train. Uh Uh-huh. And that's the point where Michael Fassbender is like, Hi, Totoy, let's kill some civilians. He does. Drops the plunger and blows up everybody on the train except, you know, the cannons and the engine. Did He killed the two bad guys that were strapped with dynamite too, right? He did, and there's a line, I can't remember if it's here or later, where Malkovich says, Find the pieces of those two men and give them a proper burial burn the rest oh i didn't catch that part because i wasn't paying attention again (laughs) i mean how could you not for all 71 minutes shad we get to the white house where the real president grant is there played by aiden quinn whatever happened to him he used to be in everything remember i think he's probably on some television show where he's a judge or a father or a father who's a judge that sounds about right back to our movie president grant he's talking with lieutenant will arnett as played by will arnett and president Grant says, are you sure this was Confederate bad guy John Malkovich? And Will Arnett says, sure, I'm sure. Why why would I be sure, Michael? President Grant, you want to see an illusion? I I don't do tricks. Tricks are for whores, President Grant. (laughs) He also tells us a bunch of stuff that we should have found out during the course of a movie. Oh, and it turns out he faked his own death. Also, there's only 10 days before a centennial celebration, Michael. President Ulysses S. Grant, a.k.a. President Aiden Quinn, says, You know, the Mexicans have a word for him. They call him a terrorista. If only there were an English word for it that were somewhat more familiar and recognizable. Terrorista. Hmm. Why are we talking about Malkovich having Mexican slaves in this movie? Is it just trying to dance around the issue of actual slavery in the United States? Also, it's something we never see. There's only three black people in this whole movie. Two of them are kids. (laughs) 
also like in the scene when Grant gives us a little bit of some more backstory about Malkovich and he says, over time he changed. He started targeting hospitals and schools and churches and senior citizens' homes and puppies frolicking in parks, babies laughing during a game of peekaboo. The man became a monster, I tell you. Okay, we get it. He's a bad guy. We kind of figured that out when he was really pro-slavery. Also, when he burned a woman and child (laughs) in the first two minutes of the movie. But here's one of those things that you should show and not tell, is when Will Arnett says, (laughs) he, uh... Also swipe something from some fort in Virginia, something uh, weapon related, I think. We have no idea what he stole. Our intelligence team is mostly comprised of 10-year-olds incapable of reciting a simple narrative of events in chronological order. We also heard that that guy Malkovich broke into the U.S. Armory in Virginia, if you can believe it, the week before that. <laughs> President Grant is like, Virginia, you say? Jesus Christ. That crazy son of a bitch is building the weapon. Our movie's got a MacGuffin. Get me, Jonah Hex. The fate of the United States rests on the shoulders of one man. And that man is Jonah Hex. Did I say Jonah Hex earlier? That's who I need. He also drops that Jonah Hex turned in John Malkovich, which is why they were at odds to begin with Malkovich and Jonah Hex. Again, the screenplay is catching up to the movie the whole damn time. Right. Like, you know what would have been great? Seeing any of this. Wait, he turned him into the government and then he burned up in a hotel? That's right. (laughs) He turned Malkovich into the government. Uh And because of the order that Malkovich gave that we we find out later in the movie. Okay. And then that's when Malkovich kills Jonah Hex's family and burns his face. Again, chronology (laughs) would be great in this film. We just don't have any. Uh, It's just another time cop, Chad. We get to Jonah Hex drinking in a saloon and one can only guess eating some french fried potatoes. And then some guy comes in and starts some shit with Jonah Hex for no good reason. And he pulls a knife and then Jonah Hex shoots the saloon ruffian and then tips the bartender a coin to pay for the damage. Jonah Hex, he's a real smooth operator. It's the running joke of the ruffian in this case is, hey, what happened to your your face and jonah hex says i cut myself shaving what happened to yours mm-hmm. and there's a running gag where anytime somebody asks what happened to his face he says something witty and then kills them yeah i don't remember any of that just pointing it out so that listeners don't ever have to watch this movie because we're giving you what is the in quotes best stuff after committing murder jonah hex goes upstairs to have sex with movie prostitute megan fox when megan fox is finishing up with her life Last guy. Yeah, it's a real pump and dump session with this jerk off. Well, but what are you going to do, right? Like, this is your job. It's business. Yeah. And the guy is real desperate for her, though. He's like, I'll leave I'll leave my wife. She sucks. I, I've got that little grocery store. I'll burn that to the ground, collect the insurance money, whatever we got to do. I think I may even have a kid or two, but fuck them, too. How about we just, you and me, get out of here and we have all the sex in the world? Listen up here, doll. I don't play house. Our transaction is done. Why don't you beat it loser you want another ride on the megan go round you can pay again like everybody else and then when he starts to get a little handsy with her she pulls out this little one-shot derringer that she's got and he takes off and but as soon as jonah hex shows up she totally changes her tune where she's like i do declare jonah hex you're just about the best man i ever did see yeah they lay on the bed and you see the two of them sort of canoodling and he's shirtless and the camera pans up from his knees to the his torso 
And as it pans, I don't know if it was just the fabric and how it folded on his crotch, but it looked like he had this giant dick in this shot. Did you notice that or is that just me? I didn't notice that because of the moonlighting-esque Sybil Shepherd shots uh-huh. that they have of Megan Fox through this movie where anytime she is in frame, like the main character in the frame, they just wipe Vaseline over the lens. I thought that was just her skin. She looks real moist in this movie. She does, but I think there's a little bit of soft focus that they're doing here. But yeah, sure enough, they talk about some bullets and some bullshit and then they fuck a whole bunch more and great they're both beautiful people they should be fucking did he have to pay for sex with her or get a discounted rate or was it a freebie yeah this is totally on the house this is the whore with a heart of gold kind of story where she just wants jonah hex to take her away from all this people are looking for you jonah hex i gotta be moving on we can go somewhere jonah hex whenever people get close to me they die Mm -hmm. maybe the next time you come around jonah hex i won't be here Mm -hmm. maybe i could use another Six or eight cans of that potted meat if you got any extreme. Mm-hmm. And then, Chad, a bunch of soldiers bust in and we get some patented Jonah Hex witticism where he says, mm, how many men you see in a day? What I'm implying is that you're going to have sex with all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Jonah Hex, I'm a prostitute. That's what I do. I have sex with men for money. Business is good. Yeah. <laughs> How many do you have sex with? As many as I can. That's how many. Did you see that cigar box full of money I got? You know, it's the old joke of how much did you make today? $30.05. Who paid you five cents? All of them. (laughs) That's a joke you can tell your kids, listeners. This Ed Soldier says, Jonah Hex, you are hereby inducted into the army, and we are going to pay you for the last um, 40-ish minutes of this film. Your country needs you, Jonah Hex. Mm, Ain't my country. Get lost or get dead. Mm -hmm. Get lost or good dead is a good line for a good Western. Unfortunately, this is not one of those, so it falls a little flat. Also, the head soldier here, this doesn't matter at all except to me, is John Gallagher Jr., who is an actor I like, who was on uh, the newsroom and played the villain in the movie Hush. And He's a good actor, but this is an early role for him. Just kind of fun to see a young John Gallagher Jr. show up. He says, oh, look at uh, Jonah Hex, John Malcolm. Mm, Don't you say that name to me ever. I got three names I don't ever want to hear out loud. Voldemort, Beetlejuice, and John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. I got caught in a real sticky situation where somebody said the Beetlejuice name a bunch of times, and somebody else said Candyman. They showed up and had quite a fight. Here's a little bit of a ruckus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the head soldier says, the last name, not Candyman, the one before that, he's still alive. And then we cut to a military camp out in the woods filled with tents and Jonah Hex arrives on horseback and he goes over to Lieutenant Will Arnett who says, oh, well, 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 if it isn't Jonah Hex, the president seems to think you're special. Magic even. Da-da-da-da. da 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 Jonah Hex asks him, well, I heard you knew where that name I don't like to say is. You better tell me where he is. <laughs> Jonah Hex, look, we've got telephone poles full of wires, all right? In the future, we're not even going to need people like you. Am I right, guys? Am I right? And then there's this guy hanging up wires, and he gets electrocuted and falls to the ground mm-hmm. in an attempt, I think, to be funny, which this movie is not funny at all. It has so few rare attempts at humor that when they occur, it's very very out of place and it doesn't land well this guy lands on the ground but it's not funny yeah and jonah hex says i need to find out where you know who is going i heard you had a soldier captured Mm -hmm. 
Oh, we got some intelligence from some very mature, well-spoken ten-year-olds that John Malkovich and his men were heading to Springfield, Georgia, northeast of here. And we captured one of his thugs when we blew up the train. It was amazing. And then our field doctor did everything he could to save the guy's life, but he died before the doctor could even see him. That's a kids in the hall joke. I guess I'm going to go have a word well, with him. Are you kidding me? Are you? I, I wrote that joke. I, that's not the kids in the hall. <laughs> So Jonah Hex ghosted this dude, a corpse that they are still keeping locked up just in case he <laughs> zombifies and comes back to life. When Jonah Hex touches the guy, he the guy comes back to life uh-huh. and he's like, I need to know where J- John Malkovich is headed. Jesus Christ, sweet relief. I had demons jamming me in the ass with pitchforks and fire licking my balls. I'm so glad to be back on earth. Are my wife and children here? I don't know anything about that, but if we need a little exposition, I should probably say that anyone you ever knew in your life you can see their comings and goings so how about you tell me where they are Mm -hmm. you're looking for who john malkovich look i don't know where he is i was recruited by somebody named slocum Uh, is my daughter here or or maybe our dog buttons so great to be back on earth wow you're starting to burn up a little bit tell you what i'm gonna dump some dirt on your head that ought to fix it is that gonna make me live forever nope for about two more minutes Oh, shit. Dirt likes dead. Dead likes dirt. Simple as that. <laughs> then the guy hears off in the distance, Buttons? Buttons, is that you? I can hear dogs barking. It's so great to be back here on Earth, not with the fires of hell burning and singeing my taint. You know, that happened to Josh Brolin, and it was a real, oh, never mind. Yep, them's hellhounds, all right. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to give you one last piece of advice. I wouldn't pet them dogs. Mm -hmm. And so he lets them go, and the guy just, you know, eck. (laughs) <laughs> dies again yeah and jonah hex turns around and he says mm-hmm. they're headed southeast from here and i was like wait a minute they can't be headed southeast because earlier lieutenant will arnett said that springfield georgia was northeast and i don't think it's geographically possible to be somewhere where georgia is northeast and somewhere in south carolina is southeast even if you flip the map over and turn it upside down it still doesn't work out you have to be looking at a globe it's the mercator map <laughs> So we cut to Charleston. Is that where we are? Yeah, where Wes Bentley, a.k.a. the guy who was in love with plastic bags from American Beauty. Oh, yeah. And also was the villain in the original Ghost Rider. If you say so. Yeah, he's talking to John Malkovich, (laughs) and he's like, well, I do declare, John Malkovich, why, I can't just be going and giving you every piece of information I got. I need you to steal the missing parts of a machine so you'll make lots of money. I know you are double dealing. I don't care. But if you try to cross me, I will kill you. And he has his cane to this guy's throat. It's a pimp cane with a big silver skull on top. It's not a knife or anything. I mean, I guess it would still hurt if you did it hard enough, but it doesn't seem that threatening. Can we talk a little bit about what Malkovich looks like in this movie? Because (laughs) I thought he was almost like an aged riffraff from Rocky Horror, or maybe if Kyle Gass and the Cowardly Lion had a baby. Yeah, it's Old West David Crosby. (laughs) About 60 pounds lighter and three inches taller Uh uh-huh if you can't be with the one you love love the one you're with after he's choking this dandy fop of a man there's a bunch of nonsense about how america's gonna go up in flames and how this country will not see its next century the kind of stuff you find over on 8chan and all those QAnon (laughs) boards yeah 
And uh, there's a, a scene that don't matter where Michael Fassbender and some other dudes get these kind of glowing orange balls from a vault. Well, those are the triggers that he's trying to get from our American beauty dandy in the Carolinas. So he, right. I guess he gave up the scoops so that they now have the triggers to work on the machine. Right. I'll be damned if this movie ever has the decency to explain that to anyone. Everything from the moment we meet Wes Bentley to them saying like, hi, Toy, we got these triggers now we do, is like 90 seconds. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> okay, I guess. They find this one dude in the hallway of this vault or bank or whatever where these things are being held. I don't know. Uh, who's alive. And Michael Fassbender is like, how about you get that one right there? Let's take him to John Malkovich, see what he makes of him. And so they drag this guy out to John Malkovich, who just says, oh, he's alive. And then just shoots him. Yeah. And it's like, what was the point of any of that? We don't see him getting shot either. It's all off camera. We cut to a field full of tents, one giant one in the middle, and they're all lit by torches. And it's this P.T. Barnum UFC fight club. And inside there's this muscular master blaster who comes out. And then this scrawny weirdo is escorted into the fight pit. And his neck has these two clamps around it that are connected to these long metal bars that on the end have handlers. And the MC announces the weirdo as the snake. Then we see Jonah Hex show up and he checks his gun with the attendant outside. Jonah Hex goes in and he hooks up with Slocum, the person who was mentioned earlier. I don't know who he is in this movie, but he is played by Tom Wopat, who was Luke Duke on the TV series, The Dukes of Hazard. When Tom Wopat sees Jonah Hex, he says, you here to kill me, Jonah Hex? I don't know. I ain't decided yet. We're going to see how this goes. But probably. I kill most people. I'm probably going to blow this place up, too. That's kind of my thing. Mm -hmm. Slocum then looks at Jonah Hex and he says, Look here, Jonah Hex. You betrayed your best friend and you put him in the grave. You betrayed your regiment. For what? Honor? A little blood? Split this country. It could have been ours, Jonah Hex. We could still run this country, Jonah Hex. This unholy union of states. We can bring it to its knees, Jonah Hex. And I was like, oh, bo. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I don't care about none of that. I just want to know where John Malkovich is. Down in the pit, the snake man, he's got terrible acid reflux and his drool is poured out of his mouth and it looks like it's burning the dirt. He should see a doctor. And then at this point, Jonah Hex looks over at Slocum and he says, mm -hmm, I've decided I'm going to kill you now. He says this after Tom Wopat says, if you want to know where John Malkovich is, you should ask Jeb. And he's like, oh, right, I can bring people back from the dead. That's a pretty good idea. Wait a second real quick. Who's Jeb? He's the son of John Malkovich. You killed mm -hmm. him. Which one's Malkovich? Is that the, the fella down there that looks like a snake? No, that's the snake. Who's the big guy down there? Is that the Malkovich? Mm -hmm. No, that's Jim. He's fighting the snake. Mm -hmm. So who's the snake? Is that Jeb? Tom Wopat, to get out of this conversation, hurls himself into the pit <laughs> where <laughs> the snake eats him, I guess. I think Jonah Hex was somehow involved with him jumping in the pit. The snake man gets on top of his opponent and he literally unhinges his jaw and has a forked tongue like he's going to eat this guy. Yeah. That feels very comic book-ish, but there's not a whole hell of a lot of that in this particular movie. 
for the most part. It feels very out of place. There's a moment during the fight where they throw an axe into the pit, and I was like, oh, this is going to get good, but they don't mention that anymore. And there are a couple of times in this movie where you'll see something where you're like, oh, there's a flamethrower. This will get good. And the thing that Jonah Hex will teach you as a film is that no matter how good you think that things are going to get, it's just going to get shittier. Jonah Hex leaves this joint, walks outside where some dudes are just teasing this ugly dog. Yeah, they're being bullies to a dog. Yes. <laughs> Look how fat you are. You're the fattest dog I've ever seen. And you're stupid. You've never kissed a girl, have you? <laughs> and then Jonah Hex says, they're just jealous of your good looks. Huh? I'm going to go ahead and kill them for you. And then huh? he just beats the shit out of them, grabs a torch, and then once more, Chad, <laughs> sets the entire place on fire. <laughs> All those gamblers go up in flames. <laughs> Along with the snake and Slocum and Jim, the guy that was fighting the snake. Like, everybody is dead but Jonah Hex and this dog. Begging the question once again, is he the hero of this movie or one of the four horsemen of the fucking apocalypse? Jonah Hex just gets on his horse and rides off. And he ends up at this cemetery. And that dog that he was kind to follows him. And the dog gets to the cemetery and the dog's like, and he's like, I'm going to go in this here cemetery for a while. You stay out here, dog. I'm not sure you're going to be in the movie anymore. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. So he goes into the graveyard and he goes over and he finds Jeb's grave, a.k.a. John Malkovich's son. And then Jonah Hex digs up the grave. This guy's buried like six inches below the dirt. And he does his touch magic trick and Jeb pops up alive. And then these two tussle. Jeb is not happy to see Jonah Hex, which I'm not sure how Jeb recognizes Jonah Hex in this particular physical state. And during the fight, Jeb gets clocked on the head. And then when he lets Jeb go, he turns back into a corpse. Then Jonah Hex touches him again. And then he's a person. Then he lets go. Then he's a corpse. And it's a real abracapocus, hocus cadabra type of transformation that keeps going on. Uh -huh. Without the song, though. Uh, which is unfortunate. But yeah, so he finally brings it back and, and says, are you going to stop trying to hit me so I can talk to you? Or do I need to put you back in the ground? Mm -hmm. You're an asshole, Jonah Hex. You shot and killed me. Yeah, well, your father set my wife and I think my kid on fire. I don't know. It's getting a little hazy. And Jeff is like, all right, I guess, I guess that kind of makes us even. Well, uh, listen, uh, what, what brings you out here? You want to have a beer or something? Or I wasn't expecting company, so I don't have no food or nothing. I know you think I'm a traitor. Your dad wanted me to burn down a hospital, and he wanted me to kill all them innocent people. And I just couldn't kill them innocent people. I had other innocent people I was going to kill. Mm -hmm. But anyway, your dad, he killed my family, and I aimed to kill him. Jonah Hex, I've been watching you, and I've been watching my dad, and it's hard to tell the two of you apart. Well, it's easy to tell us apart. I'm the one with the melted face, and he's the one with the bald head. Mm -hmm. It's hard to mistake the two of us, and you've been watching us? Did you watching me have sex with Megan Fox earlier in the movie at that whorehouse? I think you're missing a larger point here. I'm sort of drawing a comparison. I mean, I did, and by the way, for all your faults, you are good in bed. Uh, I appreciate that. Let me ask you a question. When you was watching me have sex, did you see? 
see my big cock. I try to wear tight pants to show it off. It's one of my better features, seeing as my moneymaker up top is a little bit messed up because of all the burning on the face with the branding iron from your dad. Hey, come to think of it, is Megan Fox in this movie? I kind of forgot that she was in the film. Jonah, honestly, I, I'd almost forgotten that she was in the bed with you. All I saw was the cock, now that I think about it. It was, it is impressive. <laughs> oh, also, just give you a little heads up. I've been in hell for a little while. There's a lot of people talking about you down here, Jonah Hex, and uh, I, I'm just going to give you one quick piece of advice. You should not die. If you can figure out a way to not die, that would be good for you. Let me explain something to you. Mm. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior, and um, I'm going to go to heaven. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't think it works like that, Jonah. You have... I got news for you. I've watched Time Cop. I've read the King James. I know how both those stories end, and it's with me being in heaven, going into the pearly gates. Well, I tell you, Jonah, it is real good to see it, but I was in the middle of a poker game. It was me and Adolf Hitler. Real quick, I need to know where your dad is. Could you please tell me where his location is, and hopefully it's someplace that has a name that is cringeworthy in relationship to this movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, uh, it's Fort Resurrection. That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so, too, Jonah. Uh, tell you what, I'm, uh, I'm going to head back to the grave, get back to hell. I got a pretty good hand I'm sitting on, uh, hopefully... They have uh, they stopped the game for me because uh, I was all in on that. It's uh, four of a kind. I had four threes, and they'll never see that coming. So um, good to catch up. Uh, like I said, yep. don't die. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do, I'll yep. see you in hell. And that ain't an insult. That's just how it'll go. Yeah, and then he puts him back in the grave, and the you know Jeb just ah, he, you know turns into a corpse again. So that's number two. Yeah, the guy in the box. We got uh -huh. Jeb, and you said there's a third. I can't wait to find out who it is. He briefly does it with Michael Fassbender. Oh, that's right. It happens for about three seconds, but yeah, and that's it. That's a function that could have been served by any other plot contrivance, but instead he's bringing people back from the grave. Whatever. We cut back to Megan Fox at her office at the broad. Her office, yeah. <laughs> we see that client, Graydon, from earlier. He's lurking in the shadows all creepy-like, and Graydon says, Jonah Hex ain't coming for you. Who you think told the government he was here? Look, I burnt down my store. I killed my kids. I think I killed my wife. She was screaming but bleeding a lot. She probably did. Look, please, here's the thing. I own you now. I bought you from somebody downstairs who said they owned you. I hope they owned you. I just gave away a whole lot of money. Shit. I also bought the Mississippi River. He pulls a teeny tiny gun out. It's hers, though. It's it's the gun from her drawer oh. that she's reaching for. And he's like, no, no, fool me won't. Shame on me. Fool me won't get fooled again. But she goes after that knife that's stashed under the mattress like every seasoned prostitute has. And she just stabs this dude in the belly. So mm -hmm. nice seeing you, Grayson. You're going to bleed out in a whorehouse. There's a little bit of business here about how he was the person who turned Jonah Hex into the soldier's. None of that matters, and this scene just ends. ultimately is meaningless. It, it's just a, an excuse to have Megan Fox in the movie a little bit more, because otherwise she would be in about two and a half minutes of this film. And instead, she's in four. So that's nice. Jonah Hex shows up at this mercantile. Yeah. And the shopkeep, who is a black man. Lance Reddick, thank goodness we get an actor in this movie. He tells Jonah X, you get uglier every time I see you. And he smiles because, you know, these two are friends, Bo. You know how black people were friends with Confederate soldiers back in the day? Dude, this fucking scene. <laughs> 
You know this is Jonah X's only black friend that he always talks about whenever anybody calls him a racist. Shay, is your name Trevor by any chance? (laughs) The shopkeep takes Jonah X in the back room, which is filled with all of these guns that are cartoonish in their size and shape. It's like a Wild West version of ammunition from Grand Theft Auto. Oh, do you have anything that's maybe steampunk? (laughs) Yeah, so it's a bunch of crazy weapons. There are some crossbow pistols that Lance Reddick has been working working on and lance reddick says to jonah hex now you never was a fan of secession or slavery what why were you fighting for the south the two big things that they wanted was to be their own country so that they could have slaves it's stunning the acrobatics that this movie goes through to try to paint jonah hex as the most sympathetic confederate soldier since the outlaw josie wales i just thought that i looked more attractive in gray uniforms over blue mm-hmm. so i chose that side i got autumn skin mm-hmm. That blue just washes out when I wear it. Jonah Hex does say, everybody on both sides, there's all hypocrites, as far as I'm concerned. And then there's this whole speech Lance Reddick has about, well, me and my boy, we're going to go to Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July, and we're going to celebrate the future, Jonah Hex. Yeah, but that sounds like a bad idea to me that this black shopkeep is going to take his two young boys to washington dc four or five years right after the end of the civil war you know what seems like a worse idea chad being a free black man who owns his own business in the south that sells guns during reconstruction america you know what he can't do chad vote you think he's got to put his shop up for the poll tax so that he can (laughs) could vote for the county commissioner or whatever the hell you need to pack your bags lance reddick and head north it ain't gonna be a whole lot better but it's gonna be a little bit better but yeah at the end of the day uh, jonah hicks is like i'm gonna take these here magic crossbow pistols and then takes off it's oh god this movie is so stupid so meanwhile chad at the frustratingly named for resurrection jonah hex shows up and just walks into the joint with an axe in hand Uh uh-huh and just throws one at a guard kills him yep then grabs his trademark torch on the way inside so we know for sure something's gonna get set on fire he you know in quotes (laughs) sneaks into this place aka just walks in yeah just wanders in from the street and there's all these plans on the wall where john malkovich has laid out the blueprints for the giant weapons that he's building well that's what you do when you're an evil genius racist ex-confederate general we have this flashback to john malkovich talking to michael fassbender in the same room at an earlier time oh i thought this conversation was taking place in a different room at the same time no 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 oh this is jonah hex walking into the place and kind of piecing together what john malkovich is telling michael fassbender which is do you remember the name eli whitney that man (laughs) by the way michael fassbender's line at the mention of eli whitney is you know i'm just a dumb irishman i don't know nothing from nothing (laughs) malkovich says he invented the cotton gin after inventing this he was hired by the united states military where he industrialized the entire way that we do war he invented a weapon so terrible that america in quotes the place we're gonna blow up 
they had to stop making it because of how terrible it was. I intend to blow up Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July. Yeah, the way he puts it is, on the 4th of July, the so-called United States of America will know hell. Jonah Hex, meanwhile, is like, ding a ding a ding 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 it's just sneaking ever closer as he shows up he then sees john malkovich kill him yeah they they kind of come eye to eye and sure enough it is a you know kill that guy kind of thing and that mastodon heavy metal guitar lick they start flying around it's a real like queen's reich operatic metal opera kind of thing and jonah hex just starts walking down a hallway shooting his exploding crossbows left and right and henchmen are just blowing up in grand fashion yeah we don't really see none of it yeah and it's a nice change of pace rather than just burning all these people alive he's blowing them the hell up that's kind of fun Right, he's a special life. Mm-hmm. Jonah Hex then, once he's out of these exploding crossbow bolts or whatever, he gets a rifle and takes aim at John Malkovich. But before he can shoot Malkovich, who is kind of taken off, Michael Fassbender shows up and is like, Hi, Titoy, look at this. I got me a shotgun. Yeah. And unloads in Jonah Hex's chest and starts to load the shotgun again to finish the job. But Jonah Hex takes off. He's not immortal. We already established that he can die. Yes, the fact that this does not immediately murder Jonah Hex is nonsense. And and Fassbender later says as much, but yeah, for the rest of this scene, Jonah Hex is like, creeping in the shadows and just murdering dudes from the darkness until finally michael fassbender corners him again and jonah hex manages to get his gun out and shoots into a box of dynamite behind michael fassbender which blows up dynamite we've already proven that right that's just science and michael fassbender is like oh you dumb son of a bitch you didn't even kill me right so he opens up this crate of dynamite grabs the smoking dynamite out of it you stupid son of a bitch you could have made this explode right beside me and killed me instead you just nicked the fuse causing it to slowly burn down yeah and when he turns around jonah hex is just gone and he's like how does he keep doing that and michael fassbender climbs to the ramparts of this fort or whatever and sees what am i going to do with this here dynamite it's (laughs) It's going to explode probably in the next four to five minutes. I should probably throw it like an old potato. And which is exactly what he does. He sees Jonah Hex riding away in the distance and just hurls this dynamite at him. And it fortuitously explodes over Jonah Hex's head. I like when Jonah Hex gets in a pinch here. He whistles for his faithful steed, Nameless. (laughs) Yeah. You have a horse? I think you might have a dog. What happened to that dog at the graveyard earlier? Is he going to show up again? Yeah, he rode through the West with a horse with no name, Chad. I'm sorry about that. We cut to the next day. Malkovich is there. What happened with Jonah Hex? Hi, did I? You're not going to believe what happened. The rules of this movie aren't very clear. I have no idea what kills a Jonah Hex. The exchange here between Fassbender and Malkovich is like, he just doesn't know how to die. Well, he'll have to be educated. This place has been compromised. We all have to leave. And then to uh, Fassbender, he says, I want you to find something Jonah Hex loves and bring it to me. (laughs) 
which I assumed was going to be the dog. I thought it was going to be like club sandwiches. I got me a box of Ritz crackers. He just can't eat enough of them. He puts them in his mouth like a chipper shredder. He turns it up and it goes, about a third of it comes out of the side of the hole in his mouth. I saw him eating some chili. He didn't use saltines. He used these here Ritz crackers. That's why he's got all those crows following him around because there's cracker crumbs on the ground all the time, I tell you. Cow, cow, <laughs> he's got Ritz. Mm-hmm. Give me some of that potted meat. I put it on the crackers and make me a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Them crows are smart birds, all right. <laughs> they know that there's plenty of Ritz crackers coming out the right side of my face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we cut to Jonah Hex, and he's riding on his horse with no name, appearing to be injured. He eventually just falls off the horse, and we hear a crow. And then we get a shot of that wooden casket from the start of our movie, returning once again to confuse me terribly. Mm-hmm. And Jonah Hex says in voiceover, Some say when you're about to die, you play out all your unfinished business. Even in death, you can't let go of the vengeance. And then we get a dream sequence of Jonah Hex waking up from having been buried in the clay in this open pit area. Is he rising from the grave? Because when he pops up, Malkovich is there. And Jonah Hex says, well... I reckon I aim to kill you. Mm-hmm. And these two fight each other like a couple of old men on YouTube with a whole lot of, you don't want none of me. Oh, you don't want none of this. <laughs> this is my pet theory, at least. This was a different scene in the movie. Like, th- this wasn't yeah. just some weird flashback or dream sequence. Like, this was their final confrontation. But for whatever reason, the script got changed, the movie got re-edited, something. This whole movie really feels disjointed. It's it's fantastically terrible that no one should ever watch. Well, I think that's the real takeaway from this movie is that no one should ever watch it. But yeah, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. There's like a crow watching this this fight go down on top of a coffin uh-huh. and then Malkovich shoots him and he collapses on the grass. And then to quote the guy from the crow, he is now in the really real world again. We see Jonah Hex dying in the bushes in the real world. And then we cut away from that because why finish this thought? No. Uh, and, and we go to John Malkovich in a similarly abbreviated scene uh-huh. where he and his men are just like chucking these big silver balls into this town. Yeah, he's there with a bunch of Confederate soldier jerks and they're all drinking lemonade and they got this machine built and they blast cannonballs into this little hamlet down below. And then Malkovich pulls out one of those glowing yellow orbs that was stolen earlier. And Malkovich says, one day the weapons like this will be able to flatten continents. But today... We're going to start small. We cut to President Grant, who's getting a briefing of what we're seeing play out, where a bunch of civilians were killed because the cannonballs, the initial cannonballs that are shot into this little town, they serve as markers where the secondary yellow orbs, when fired into the air, cause the initial big cannonballs to explode and just vaporize this small, charming town in the middle of the woods. Yeah. While that is being decimated, we cut back to this guy informing Ulysses sees grant about what what happened and also says look i gotta tell you president grant we're upping security at all these centennial celebrations we've got planned <clears throat> but yep. there is no way we're gonna be able to stop this guy all right so outside the capitol building you're saying that we have scaffolding a place where i would be able to give my speech 
Mm -hmm. We feel like there's enough security there that everyone's going to be safe. There's no way any group of people would be able to break through the barriers that we have set up. We have enough. No, under no circumstances. No, uh, we don't have enough for that. He could strike in Philadelphia. We don't have enough security there. Basically, John Malkovich is going to be able to willy-nilly kill as many people as he wants. Decisions, decisions. Do we keep the 4th of July celebrations? Do we end them? You know what? I really like seeing the smiles on my children's face. So I'm going to put other people in harm's way just so my kids are happy. It's what I do. I love them. Mr. President. Yeah. I got to tell you, I like this decision. You're making a lot of assumptions about safety here. Yep. uh, But I like it. It's bold. It's leadership. That's what you do. This is the kind of thing that's going to get you reelected. You listen to what the people are saying and you ignore it. That's leadership. And so we move from that (laughs) to Michael Fassbender roaming the streets of Horville, where he finally (laughs) makes his way up to Megan Fox's office, as you put it. Where she has finished working for the night. Woo! He says, look, I I got us a great idea. Look at this big knife I got. Almost as big as that Jonah Hex's cock. <laughs> then she smacks him. He smacks her. One thing leads to another. And he just throws Megan Fox over his shoulder and carries her out. Yeah, it's a real snidely whiplash type moment. She's kicking her legs and beating his back. You brute! You brute! Meanwhile, in the other movie, this ugly-ass dog has found Jonah Hex. Which, did you think it was the same dog? Or were you questioning, like, hey, there's another dog? There's only, like, seven people total in this movie. So I didn't think there would be multiple dogs. (laughs) I just assumed whatever dog that showed up was going to be the dog. It's like a day or two later, right? Right. Jonah Hex has just been lying in the grass, dying slowly. And the ugly dog is like over here sure enough he has passed out about i don't know 22 feet away from this village yeah there's like 18 teepees all set up and these native american strangers walk over and drag jonah hex into their little camp and then all of these native americans they start rubbing herbs on jonah hex's wounds and they start smoking pipes and the smoke goes into jonah hex's lungs and then we get another flashback of jonah hex with his family right it's his native wife and their son. Wait, he was married to a Native American woman? That's right. Again, none of this matters and it's not explored. And there's something interesting about the idea of like, he just kind of completely rejected America and the war and all these competing ideologies and just wanted to live this quiet life with this woman that he loved and this child. The movie doesn't bother to explain or explore any of that, but there is the root of a good movie. But again, this is just a shitty remake of the outlaw Josie Wells. He sounds like the Unabomber, man, or some doomsdayer. I'm going to go out here and make the the United States of New Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I got my own currency. I'm the president. My wife's vice president. My son's secretary of state of New Mexico. We homeschool him. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's going to be full of a lot of good ideas. (laughs) As we see this flashback, we also see the Native Americans who have taken Jonah Hex in after he's been shot are just pouring some shit on his chest that smokes like it's a bunch of, like hydrocodone or something john malkovich shows back up in his vision to be like do you remember the beginning of this movie that 
And so you're like, oh, right, yeah, the, what, he, what he set him on fire. Joda Hex wakes up, and he's got crazy yellow eyes, and he's spitting out smoke, and there's an eyeball in his mouth, and then a crow comes climbing out of his mouth and flies away. A full-size crow, not like a baby crow. Yeah. It's like the size of a chicken, Bo. Yeah, and so he wakes up and just goes, Malkovich. <laughs> And so he's okay again. So we crank up the Mastodon guitar licks, and Jonah Hex rides off to go kill Malkovich. Here's where you really get to see his big belt buckle with the CS on it, and you're like, mm, I, you know, this guy was Team Jefferson Davis all the way. Hex busts into a telegram office and shouts at Ron Howard's dad, Send a telegram to Lieutenant Will Arnett. Found John Malkovich. Stop. Mm-hmm. Don't know where he's going. Stop. Mm-hmm. He built the nation's killer weapon. Stop. Mm-hmm. Everything you're doing now needs to stop. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop. We're going to save the country. Stop. Mm-hmm. And then Rance Howard looks up from this telegraph machine and he's like, say what? <laughs> Are you more excited when you see Rance Howard in a movie or Clint Howard in a movie? Oh, Clint Howard. I used to be more excited with Clint Howard, but now I'm more excited when I see Rance Howard because he's dead. Clint Howard's still alive. I, uh, for a long time, I thought Clint Howard was Ron Howard's dad. No. He's his sad little brother. But I can see where you confuse that. He was the conjoined twin that got split off like Belial from Basket Case. <laughs> <laughs> he does have kind of a quato look to him. For sure. Like, at one point, Ron Howard was attached to Clint Howard by something other than blood. His flesh and <laughs> sinew. I don't know where they were attached but it was somewhere that you can hide whenever i see rance howard i always think about him saying you're the man who killed hadleyville and i'm gonna kill you and then he starts to strangle michael keaton (laughs) that's pretty good yeah by the way if you've never seen the movie gung-ho you should it is a four-star recommendation from everyone at pick six movies as is the movie night shift another ron howard joint starring michael keaton and henry winkler i told you i watched night shift within the past 18 months does it hold up absolutely it's still very funny and a a great deal of fun and one of those great henry winkler performances that reminds you that oh like he's a really good actor outside of the fonz you know he's he's a lot of fun in that movie and i've always had a crush on shelly long dude you do have a type i do (laughs) shelly long laura lenny it's not tough you don't you don't have to work hard to crack the code on this one we got to Jonah X riding across the plains and the dog from the PT bare knuckles traveling fist fest ballyhoo is following him and there's a bunch of crows overhead. We cut to Independence Harbor, Virginia at night and this looks like a bustling metropolis for the day in which it was taking place. There's crows hanging out all over the place. Apparently that's a thing for Jonah Hex now. I don't know that it ever really was. Jonah Hex and his faithful horse unnamed and his dog you over there, they come into town along with all the crows. And Jonah Hex marches over to this compound where there an armed guard says, what happened to your face? And then Jonah Hex throws a hatchet at this guard. And so that guy's dead. But we don't get to see it because this movie has a weak ass PG-13 rating. And this is the point where Jonah Hex tells this guy, I don't have a wise ass thing to say to you. Just going to kill you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is the line I like in the movie. Not that line. But it's when he shows up in this town and he tells this kid to take care of his 
this horse named Horse. Then he looks at this dog and he says, I don't know what to say to you. And then just walks off. That's a funny joke. If it is, in fact, a joke. And I can't say for sure it is, but it made me laugh both times I watched it. I think he might have forgotten his line. Like he looked at the dog and was like, mm, I don't know what to say to you. Line. There isn't one. All right, just leave that in then. Mm. Who am I going to go kill now? Mm. This is one of those moments that we referenced earlier. The, hey, think for a half second. Oh, this is about to get good. Because as Jonah Hex is sneaking up on this boat, we see a dude with a flamethrower. Yeah, which pick six movies, if anything, is pro flamethrower. A hundred percent. So I got very excited. Again, we're going back to back flamethrower movies where in, you know, that dumbass league of extraordinary gentlemen, not a lot of good things to say about that movie, but it had a dude with a flamethrower in it in an Iron Man outfit. And that's something. <laughs> not much comes of it here. I think they had the flamethrower to kind of help with the lighting for the film. I thought it was there to wake me up for the last 10 <laughs> minutes of this movie, which by the way, Chad, we are in. TikTok, let's wrap it up. Yeah. This 71 minute movie is in its final 11 minutes and we see on the boat where Wes Bentley has joined John Malkovich at a table who's Wes Bentley Wes Bentley is the southern dude that led him to the detonators oh okay the guy from American Beauty yeah who's like I do declare I sure hope that you guys come out on top because if you don't I'm certainly gonna be hanged and I do not want to be hanged and John Malkovich says oh I've got a great idea and he walks around behind Wes Bentley and just shoots him in the back. Uh-huh. There. Now you can't be hanged by the government. End of that character, I mean, who didn't matter at all and neither did this scene. This ship sets sail and Fassbender sees Jonah Hex. And then these two tussle for a bit. It's all real generic hand-to-hand combat. Fassbender picks up a knife and then he picks up a torch. And then at one point, Jonah Hex is on the ground. Fassbender's on top of him. Jonah Hex then sets his own hand on fire with some spilled kerosene. And he reaches up and punches Fassbender in the head a few times. And Ultimately, the fight ends with Jonah Hex pushing Fassbender into the turning blades of the ship's propellers, which are still out of the water as the ship is being launched. And he says, mm, this here's for my wife. Mm-hmm. But we don't see Bert killed. We no. only get to see his legs shaking violently. Tom Cop came back and told me about Indiana Jones doing this to a Nazi. <laughs> Once Fassbender is dead, Jonah Hex does use his voodoo zombie mojo, brings Fassbender back from the dead, and then says, This here's for my son. Mm-hmm. And he punches Fassbender, and he just burst into ash. Mm-hmm. He punched him so hard he turned into sand? That's right. He punched him to sand? That's right. And then we ate crawdads. <laughs> when there was no crawdads, we punched sand. Up on the top deck of this ship, all the crew is shouting, Malkovich, Malkovich. And then he comes up and he fires off a gun to get everybody's attention. And he gives a speech, Bo, that is completely at home during those January 6th riots pre-shows. It is time to take our country back. (laughs) It has been defiled. We will arrive, we will do that thing that we were convened to do. The capital will burn. The battle is joined. We are going to march down Pennsylvania Avenue to Congress. I'll be there with you. Wink, wink. (laughs) 
all these crew members, they just start yeehawing and firing their guns like, Malkovich! <laughs> yeah. Malkovich! Jonah Hex has taken a rifle, takes aim at John Malkovich, who sees Jonah Hex up in the rafters of the boat or whatever, and just out of nowhere produces a Megan Fox. Oh my God, it's like a rabbit out of the hat. It, it's like, where did she come from? Yeah, and he says... So, you have a history of watching me kill things that you love, Jonah Hex. Would you like to go for a second? Oh, I kind of like her. Also, she tends to have lots of rich crackers. I can't find nowhere else to get them. So, another <laughs> dude, you know, pulls a gun on Jonah Hex and they knock him out, essentially. And I want you to tie him up so he can watch Washington burn fade out we fade back in it's nighttime in these united states president ulysses s grant is giving a speech at night it's all very dark as is the finale of this movie jonah hex's one black friend the shopkeep from the gun store he's at the speech with his two young boys malkovich and his men they roll up on their floating death boat and they take aim at the capitol building jonah hex and megan fox these two are chained up with wrist shackles to this wall which I'll bet those Confederate soldiers had a lot of those laying around, Bo. Yeah. <laughs> also, nine minutes left in our movie. We're right at the ass end of this thing. Jonah Hex is asking her, like, you got that gun you keep on you? And she's like, no, I surely don't. You and got that knife in your garter? Nope, they searched me real good, Jonah. You got that switchblade in your nether regions? I said they took everything and searched me real good, Jonah. You got that screwdriver you keep in your poop chute? She's like, I don't have anything. Well, all right, here's a plan. You're going to use your feminine wiles to lure a guard. Ta-da! I'm out! Oh, well, that's real convenient. How about you let me out and we'll get this movie done with? Clickety-clack, we're both free. That's what happens in this movie. Nobody uses ingenuity or their wits or <laughs> something that happened earlier in the movie. They're just, they, they got out. <laughs> we come back to the SS racist with Malkovich and his crew and Confederate shitheads, and they take aim at the Capitol building with their doomsday cannon invented by Eli Whitney. What are we doing, Bo? All right, so then... <laughs> Off in the distance, Bo, we hear... Everyone, it's me, Lieutenant Will Arnett. This is no illusion. You are all under arrest by the U.S. military, and you will be charged with treason. And in what may be a joke, John Malkovich says, <laughs> fire at will. And then they throw a bunch of these iron bombs at Will Arnett's boat. I made a big mistake. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it blows up <laughs> it blows the shit out of this boat like it just incinerates it and then all john malkovich and the ss racist goes to the end of the movie and then there's some business with like jonah hex and megan fox taking out some guards she stabs one dude in the dick which is something at least then jonah hex like shoots his way to the gunner and then grabs the flamethrower, Chad. I'm like, all right, now we're Here we talking. go. Right. And then it sets a couple of people on fire, and then he trades the flamethrower for an axe. And I'm like, what are we even doing, movie? <laughs> you had the finale in literally in your hands. And meanwhile, this gunner is ordered by John Malkovich, you know, fire at the White House. And so he fires these metal orbs you know just the first part but not the yellow orbs that make them go kablooey right 
And so Jonah Hex and John Malkovich start to scrap, and so they fall down into the decks below where they're going to have their fight, much like the moment in Wild Wild West where Will Smith falls down into the spider thing to fight some dudes there. Wild Wild West is arguably a better movie than this. I can't believe I would those words even came out of my mouth, but this is only 71 minutes. You're right, this wins. John Malkovich it gets the upper hand is just beating the ever-living shit out of Jonah Hex and then tells the crew, I guess, load the detonator and fire it at Ulysses Grant. Also, at this point, Chad, there are 3 minutes in the movie left. We're getting tight. Megan Fox is topside beating up another guy who, for a while, I thought she was fighting Malkovich. And then, because he's got a bald head too, which, why would you cast two bald guys in your, anyway. They're tussling around and there's an axe in the mix of their fighting. Megan Fox falls down on the ground. She reaches over to grab the axe, but it's just out of her reach. And she taps it with her fingers. It falls off the side of the ship. But wouldn't you know it, Bo, it lands down on the lower deck where Jonah Hex is taking a beating from Malkovich and his pimp cane. At this point, our movie cuts back to the dream sequence where Jonah Hex and John Malkovich are fighting in the clay pit once again next to that mystery wooden casket that's full of Gwyneth Paltrow's head and her vagina candle. And then Jonah Hex sees the murder of his wife and his kid again as he's getting the shit kicked out of him by Malkovich. It's them fighting both in the hold of this ship and also on this red clay battlefield. Yeah, it's like two fights in one, but you don't care about either. Yeah, it, maybe if they focused on one, I would have cared something about something. And the yellow orb that's going to cause the first cannonballs to blow up is moving its way down this Rube Goldberg contraption to make its way up to the Kablamo Kablooey thing. But Jonah Hex throws his axe to stop the detonator from going up the Rube Goldberg machine. Right. And then just shoves John Malkovich's head in the gears. Uh-huh. And so he's trapped. And then Jonah Hex is like, you wait right here. I got to go finish the movie. Mm -hmm. And he goes up topside and beats up the gunner. Yes. At which point the axe breaks, shattering the detonator, which blows up, thereby killing John Malkovich and blows up the ship. But he and Megan Fox at the last second, jump off the boat and into the water. Then there are explosions of plenty that we see from the shore where Lance Reddick says, Happy Fourth of July. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the end of the big battle. We cut to Jonah Hex in President Grant's office, who hands him a fistful of cash and says, Here's your reward and you get a full pardon. I was like, for what? What was Jonah Hex convicted of? It, what, being a Confederate soldier? A war criminal? Maybe all of the above? None of the above? I don't know. The movie never says. President Grant hands Jonah Hex this cartoonish oversized sheriff's badge and says, America needs a sheriff. And Jonah Hex says, mm -hmm. countries ain't got sheriffs. If you get yourself in a jam or you get some biscuits with mustard, you know where to find me. Mm -hmm. And then Jonah Hex walks away, leaving the cartoonishly oversized sheriff's badge. Outside, Megan Fox is waiting for him and she says, did he offer you a job? And Jonah Hex says, yeah, I ain't got no need for a job don't reckon i like a boss and all these city folk always never fancied myself the nine to five type mm -hmm. and then these two walk off into the sunset but wait chad we're not done yet 
No. We have another completely unnecessary scene where we go to the cemetery, you know, where Jeb is buried. Jonah Hex says, I'm real sorry about that, Jeb. <laughs> and then just rides off with the ugly dog in tow. And then we get a little voiceover where he says, they say if you carry vengeance in your heart, you best dig two graves, one for the person you're going to kill, one for you. Guess mine's just going to have to wait. Mm-hmm. The screen erupts into flames. I don't know why that happens. And then we get credits. And that's it. That is top to bottom Jonah Hex. <sighs> it's short. It is very short to the point that it doesn't always make sense. You don't have time to care about any of these characters. Jonah Hex is not an awful character to explore in movies. You know, like a, a good Western is a good Western, right? But all the kind of supernatural shit doesn't matter and it doesn't add up to anything. Malkovich is a fun villain, but you don't really get a lot of fun stuff for him to do in the movie. It's a frustrating watch because there are so many moments where you're like, oh, if they had just done X, then the movie would have been better. If they had just let Jonah Hex carry that flamethrower around a little while longer, that would have been better. If they had given Megan Fox some kind of backstory other than I'm a whore, that would have been more interesting. It just... It, it, it's just a whole lot of nothing. When I think about good Westerns, not, you know, the the cliched stuff from the 40s and 50s that romanticized America's expansion westward that. But when you think about like the Seven Samurai or the Mandalorian or other things that use the cliched trappings of a Western, I think that Jonah Hex could be a good series on HBO Max and really lean into the themes of Westerns in a way that also embrace some of the uniqueness of the comic books and, and have fun with it. Mm -hmm. This didn't do any of that. Westerns are also hard. I mean, especially for an international audience and, and movies that are made today outside of a small percentage of Americans and maybe some some people that just like Westerns. It's not a genre of film or entertainment that is widely embraced. Westerns typically, you know, suck at the box office and nobody really cares. You know, it's a, a, a taste change kind of thing. Like I would argue that superhero movies are the Westerns of today. And that there's almost always one in the theater, much like the, yeah. in the 40s and 50s. There was always a Western in the theater. Yeah, you can still do a good one. You know, Tombstone is a great movie. You know, Unforgiven is a great movie. A Bug's Life is a Western. Yeah, for sure. In a lot of ways, like The Road Warrior and and yeah. is a Western. And Fury Road is kind of a Western. You know, that those are certainly using some of the same tropes. But this movie just isn't smart enough to crib from any of that stuff. Like, that's the thing is you don't have to reinvent the wheel to make a good Western. You just steal from the Kurosawa movies and the Sergio Leone movies that stole from the Kurosawa movies. And there is a way to make a good Western without having to do a whole lot of heavy lifting or be creative and this movie just doesn't even bother to do that it's too lazy to even rip off yeah a better movie which is unfortunate but we've been through five episodes this season and we have one left i can't imagine oh, that Chad. we would be able to find a movie that is worse than the five that we've already discussed do you have a recommendation for our sixth film chad i like to think that I plumbed the depths of cinema in a way that few people do. This is going to be awful, isn't it? Oh, Chad. 
prepare yourself for a journey into the world of more adult comics. Like porno? It's not far. Oh. Is it? Uh, It's just trash. Yeah, this is trash. Uh, It is a comic turned into a movie called Faust Love of the Dam. Now, you may be familiar with the Faust story, Chad, but I can assure you that nothing will prepare you for the events of the film Faust Love of the Dam. I'm familiar with Randy Newman's musical Faust. That is far superior. Uh, Don (laughs) Henley does not appear. Neither does Linda Ronstadt. (laughs) No funny rate. No James Taylor. Oh, shit. (laughs) Not even a cameo from Elton John. Oh, man. No. This is a sort of anti-hero superhero story, but what if it was super cheap and also a little perverted? And I think, Chad, our audience would be pleasantly surprised by the results. Let me ask you a question. Is this available on any streaming service for me to watch? It's available on YouTube. Good God. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll tell you, Chad, it's better than, say, 40% of the things you'll find on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Um, Oh, you're going to take it, all right. (laughs) Right to the chin. What was the last movie that we saw that was only available? Alligator was the last one that was only on YouTube. Alligator was only available on YouTube? This is way worse than Alligator. What about She's Too Young? The movie about teenagers getting VD. They got oh, st- this is for sure worse than that. Is anybody getting syphilis in this? Everybody got syphilis and she's too young, and that was on YouTube. No, but somebody melts into a puddle of boobs. That's close to getting syphilis. It's not far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go fire up the YouTubes. I will check this one out, and we will see everyone in two weeks' time. As always, like, rate, review. Please let us know what you thought of this episode. Share with a friend. Share with an enemy. Share with everybody. You know, Bo, any final thoughts that you have on Jonah Hex? the motion picture happy this is done time for me to eat some Ritz crackers <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening everybody